welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I can hear a pin drop. What's up with you guys? I was, I was trying to lead us in. You just kind of got Let's get re- ready to rumble. Yeah, you you had like total deer in the <laughs> headlights right then. You were both like, uh. I didn't know if we're not supposed to talk or not. You're on a podcast and you have a headset on. Why would you not supposed to talk? I don't know. Maybe you're going to like do an intro or something. The only thing I do need to say is Tori's got to do the PG version, Tori, for the podcast, just in case you get a little wiry on some subjects tori's tori can get a little she can go into a four-letter uh tirade yeah, <laughs> yeah. we don't have any tequila though. okay <laughs> so I'm that, good. that's that's what happens okay well uh so i've got josh hall here who is a pro board shaper is that the technical term <laughs> Uh yeah, do you, yep. I mean, is, do you <laughs> call it like shapers or like? Yeah, is it more like just shaper? Yep, shaper. Is that what you? I'm use? a surfboard shaper. Okay, if um, someone like saw you in the beach, and like, what do you do? You'd just be like, a shape, bro. Yeah, is that what you'd say? <laughs> yeah, or I run a surfboard company. Um, but yeah, I just shape the boards, but have a great team that does all the real hard work. Actually, <laughs> well, it's honestly we talked about that for business. We have a team here that makes a lot of the, the everyday things go around. And then there's like a different team that handles the logistics of, you know, brand recognition, you know, brand image, um, new products that come to market, yep. continuing to support all of those people that support your brand, you know, when it comes to like your network, it's yep. like some of that stuff is very hard for when you need help for people to step into those roles it's like they have to step in and and really learn the craftsmanship it mm-hmm. seems like that you know at least for us we bring people in and they get taught the craftsmanship of this is what needs to happen or you know and this is this is our quality expectation and like when i come through and check qc this is what i'm going to always look for and, and this is my exact way of doing this mm-hmm. and then obviously it seems like Sharon and I um, have just really had to focus on those other things that we talked about because it's really hard to train someone for those particular roles. Yeah, the you know, there's – oh, I rely heavily on my team. Um, we were talking the other day. <clears throat> so we own a small glass shop and do about 12 boards a week. And um, between the – well, four of them really, but three main guys, um, we have 140 years of – board building experience Jeez, and our uh, youngest uh, guy uh, Micah our, our laminator he's 26 I think and's probably mm-hmm. been building boards since he was 14 at least so does he you remind a, you of yourself kind of a little bit he's way more involved I mean I I never got into the laminating and the finishing of boards side of it I just was more obsessed with surfing mainly yeah and then building a board a month or whatever through college until once I was into a career, I, I wanted to keep surfing a main part of what I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mentor, Skip, always said, he's like, hey, if you're going to get into this and you want to keep surfing, don't think about shaping and glassing. Yeah. He's like, you'll <laughs> you'll run out of time eventually. And yeah. there are a couple 
people in the industry that do it all start to finish and hats off to them. They're amazing, amazing craftsmen, but they sacrifice things that, you know, it depends what you hold port important. Like for me, surfing's kind of at the yeah, top. I was going to say, you know? for me, um, <laughs> archer, like if I had to do all the stuff that we do here, then what would happen was I would not be an archer or I would not correct. be a bow hunter. Yep. You know, you have to, you have to have people to where, and honestly, it's amazing when that's all someone does, you get to the point where I've stepped over and talked to people, you know, next door at custom and said, you're doing this better than I would do it, mm. you know. But I also never sat down for three weeks at a time to Fletcher, you know. I've done thousands or tens of thousands, but it's also been dispersed over 30 years, not yeah. just sitting there, like, being, you know, super repetitive to the point where it's like, oh, okay, this person has 10 times the experience of me in the last five years he's already done what i would have done in five years doing custom builds for people or doing arrows for myself i think i'm I'm about around five thousand boards shaped and i think i've built six or seven start to finish (laughs) so they're good for you (laughs) well (laughs) yeah yeah i just listen listen to my mentor he's like man if you want to keep surfing just surfing shaping and then you know the glassing figure that out Tori, what do you go by, like, when you on the streets? What's your street name? Is your name, like, Tori? Do you go (laughs) first and last name, or do you go to, like, do you go to, like, book name? It's kind of, like, a sensitive subject, actually, because I haven't changed my name since I've been married over a year now. So Ah. so tell us all of your names and aliases, and people can choose which one they like. Okay. Is Torquila one? Yeah, Torquila. <laughs> That's is, the newest one. Torquila is the newest one. It's 24 which, hours old. <laughs> yeah, and Torquila, honestly, because of what you do, and you'll, I'll let you talk about that in a second. You may want to create a Torquila <laughs> that's very focused on the archery and the hunting and like your outdoor side, and then Vita lives a secret keto life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be my wild game. My wild game cookbook. Torquila. Tor- oh, dude. <laughs> Torquila recipes. <laughs> the Torquila well. <laughs> okay, tell, okay. T- introduce yourself. So, tell us everything you got. So my name right now is Tori Borelli, but <laughs> it will be Tori Borelli Hall here shortly once the paperwork is finished. Gosh, yeah, the paperwork. <laughs> but I, it was hard because we got married at the same time I, I released my book, and my uh, book was under my name. and so. What's I the name of your book? My book is the Mexican Keto Cookbook. <laughs> nice way to navigate, way to navigate her, Josh. I mean, I'm trying to get her <laughs> yeah. to, to like okay. feed in, but that's okay. So, um, I'm an integrative nutritionist and a recipe developer. So, I have a cookbook, and yeah. So, back yeah. to these nicknames. Beautiful oh, the nicknames. photography too in your book. Thank you. That's, that's a very important part for sure. I love the. It's like. Is it fair to say it's pastel? Like, yeah, like definitely the themes are like light blues. They wanted it to be Baja blue. Yeah, it, I love pastel. It's like it makes you feel like really calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you throw a bright blue or a teal or a pink against that more pastel color. And you're like, it There's a couple out. movies that filter that way huh. to where they, I don't think they shoot them that way, but I think in post they make that, the whole post like very pastel oriented like where it's mm-hmm. like blues and stuff like that it's kind of like washed out mm-hmm. but 
yeah, I love. It makes me want to eat. You feel like you're eating something fresh. Yeah, that, with that's, that, that was with a that theme look. for sure. Fresh Baja. Which rustic is like, for cookbooks, rustic's super popular right now where it's like very, I don't know, kind of gr- like gritty mm-hmm. and like, I don't or know, like Barney. You yeah, know, like, like farm to table. Yeah, yeah, and like medieval. But I feel like that makes me want to go on a carnivore diet, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily make me want to eat a lot. Where mm. like with fresh food, I want to continually do it when it looks really fresh or you go to a super cool like food market or like an international like like kind of like a food. um, Mm -hmm. What do they call those things where they do them outside? A farmer's market or a bazaar food bazaar. No, I don't know. It's almost like a festival where it's all international foods and they come together and everyone has their little tents and stuff. Like when you go to those and everything looks fresh and, you know, you just want to keep sampling and trying it. Whereas when it's like very rustic, it's almost like I'm going to sit down in front of a three pound freaking tomahawk, <laughs> dominate this and yeah. then wake up sometime tomorrow. Yeah. You know, which is an option too, but <laughs> yeah, I think her, I think her book, it really tailors to like a very social like a social feeding Mm -hmm. to where, you know, it's more of like when food's fresh, it's like you just visualize drinks and a lot more camaraderie and talking. And honestly, like what we did when we were up at Jocko and Helen's and and we were all up, you know, at big sky and we all cooked together. Like we're all like, Hey, I'll take this. I'll take that. You know, like Sharon grabbed something, Helen grabbed something. Jocko grabbed nothing. He's like, he was just waiting for that. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I'll grab my fork and knife and I'll sit by the grill. And if someone doesn't hand me a steak, I'm going to freaking choke them out. Yeah. No, but that's kind of my food philosophy too. And it's like what I teach on my one-on-one clients is just like food should taste good. It shouldn't be scary. It should be, you know, something that's shared with friends over a long period of time and it should be colorful and all those things because all those things mean nutrients and, you know, reducing stress. And I find so often that people, that food is overwhelming for people. So that was my idea going into my book to make it comforting. You, you changed our cook, our cutting board's life <laughs> with your pickled, um, oh, yeah, uh, that pickle your onion. pickled onion. It's, it's so hibiscus, simple. Yeah. Hibiscus tea. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sharon's like, where's the, you know, she makes it. Yeah. But if I get out like breakfast tacos and that's <laughs> oh, a, that's yeah. like very typical for us on a weekend because we normally eat big meals on Friday nights, which tonight we're going to do, you know, and there's going to be like leftover steaks and yep. chicken, which feed perfectly into like breakfast hey, burritos breakfast burrito. tomorrow. Yep. Just and dice everything up. So, yeah, if I don't get out Sharon's jar of the hibiscus pickled um, onions. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's so simple, right? Like it's a couple ingredients, but it's different and it lasts in the fridge for weeks like. That's the best part. And your like your tacos don't look right without that color on them. I know they yeah. need the hot pink. Yeah, <laughs> when they get that, then it's like okay. I'm otherwise you feel like you're missing something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, when did you? When did you start? I guess focusing on like that cookbook or that style of food because you. I know your family has a background in hunting, going back. Mm-hmm. So was wild game part of some of that like going back and then then you kind of diverted it to what the book is or yeah I would say that was a huge part of it I mean I grew up with a a family a Mexican Italian family and my dad and my mom's side of the family all all hunted whether it was like you know from fishing to well we did more bird hunting 
Um, but my dad, we had bows when we were young girls, and my dad was just anything that we killed, we had to eat. And his whole thing was just knowing where our food comes from. And again, like that's something that I I continue to say to my clients. Like we have such a disconnect now, and yeah. so um, people just go to the store and buy some you know conventionally raised factory farm meat and have no connection to like how that affects their health. And so that's always been something in my family. My dad has a restaurant business background, so. Every time that we ate as a family, we would just we would talk about where the food came from. And my mom's family does agriculture, so that was a big part of it too. And um, I just, like I said, like I continue to see that people are really disconnected from their food. And so um, working one-on-one with nutrition clients and then also having the recipe development that I was doing for big companies, um, I just wanted to bring both those together and share it. And people would always be like, your food tastes so good. Like, I think healthy food tastes bad. You know, you, they mm. think it's like a boring salad and yeah. it's like healthy mm. food doesn't have to taste, taste bad. Right. Mm. It's like the concept that we think about it. Yeah. It seems it's honestly, in my opinion, people keep asking me to do a cookbook, but then I, you know, I know someone like you and I'm like, okay, I don't need to do a cookbook. There's people that have good cookbooks. I feel like mine would be boring because how Sharon and I like to eat is really based on very simple ingredients that are classic Mm -hmm. and you taste the food that you're eating. You don't taste, you don't make a food, but then pour something on it that makes it taste like something else. Or hiding it. Yeah. People are doing. Yeah. And like with, with my archery, it's the same way. It's really broken down into simple basics to where it might seem very plain about the things that I talk about and do, but Mm -hmm. in the same sense, you get a very like authentic thing that's repeatable. And when you, and which for me, if I like a restaurant, I like a restaurant to where they may have different things available but you always know what that dish that you order is going to taste like because it's consistent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like consistency comes from from like consistent ingredients that are not like, you know, olive oil is olive oil. You know, it's not like I put on an oil that is part olive oil, part avocado oil, part mm-hmm. sesame, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like, keeping things simple and so much of what my cookbook would be, would be like very repetitive. I feel like you could buy 10 things for your kitchen. (laughs) And with those 10 things, you would cook every single thing that you see Sharon and I eat. And you're going to always taste the, the the food. So if you don't have good vegetables, Mm -hmm. it might not taste good. You know, there's times, there's times where you, yeah, there's times where you buy cilantro or like basil's a really good example. Good basil or good tomatoes. Oh yeah. Game changers. Game changers. It's like, if you have garden tomatoes. Out of your garden, like. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, or tomatoes, like I like tomatoes and I'm having this tomato, but in all fairness, it's just the texture of a tomato with water, you know, in it. Yeah, especially if it's, like, in the middle right now. It's yeah. the middle of winter, and you're trying to eat a tomato. I'm like, come on, people. Like, yeah. tomatoes don't grow here right now. Or basil. <laughs> yeah. There's times where Sharon and I have walked in to, to, like, you know, Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, and you're just like, Sm- do you smell that basil? Let's go get th-. And then there's, like, fresh little basil plants mm-hmm. that they're 
they were grown in the right conditions and that is so vibrant you want to just make a caprese you want to make a pasta you want mm-hmm. something with with basil on it you know and so taking advantage of when things are in season and when they taste really awesome is i think really critical but also simplicity right so when you started hunting did you did you guys do much archery for i didn't realize you had shot much for was, archery yeah i was really young like from i want to say from probably 8 to 13 we were super into it and like we would just be like shooting rabbits and squirrels and um i did shoot a deer but and we were it was really funny because we were in san diego behind my dad's restaurant in like the sereno valley mountains and um just my dad knew they were back there and we kind of <laughs> did it and uh my mom wasn't very happy when we came home with that but i just i because of how sports were and i was playing such a high level of soccer like it took me away from everything i loved and yeah i just ended up like losing all my hobbies and soccer took over at 13 till college so did your um, dad like shooting from the like the zen part of it did or did he just shoot a bow because he wanted to hunt or did he like both. shooting archery no he really i mean he still shoots and and i would say both i think he really thought it might have had you know i'm the oldest of three girls so mm-hmm. having daughters that were tough and like had a connection to their food and being able to like see the blood and actually like have those emotions and you know he he was really into just I guess like yeah knowing where your food comes from but being actually able to do it like if you're gonna just be able to go order a burger but you can't you know eat the deer that you shot then you probably shouldn't have a weapon <laughs> yeah and he was tough like that like he he's yeah, he wouldn't be scared to, like, make you cry over it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, tough love is a big argument today. Oh, yeah. You know, because I know when I look at how my my uncle and my mom were brought up, it was, like, even from my perspective, because I grew up with, like, tough discipline. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was probably just enough and justified it probably wasn't applied correctly Mm. but it was also like i don't feel like it was excessive it was just it was like i would have reinforced it differently or honestly when sharon says well they probably could have done done something like this and they really wouldn't have had to go to that level which i i agree with totally whereas i think during my grandparents era i think like spankings and like making you cry and stuff like that was like part of they didn't think you really got it until you cried about right. it type yeah. thing. Like, do you, yeah. you know, and so there, there's definitely a fine line, but there's also a line that's getting washed right now I agree. that really kind of scare me to the point where it's like, it's hard for someone to have such a strong opinion about bow hunting but yet they'll, like you said, they'll go to freaking In-N-Out Burger oh, yeah. and do that. And they're not picketing at In-N-Out Burger saying, you know, stop the beef on my burger. Right. I mean, at some point, like, that food, you you either are okay with it or you aren't, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in a pretty tough, like, I'm between a rock and a hard place because I'm not, 
a trophy hunter, but I also know that like I also have I don't know how to put it. It's difficult because there's certainly times where um there's certainly times where I want to shoot like a bigger animal I'm, most of the time if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like I'm okay with not shooting something if I know that I'm not like getting something that's super mature. And I think it's because of the fact that I'm lucky enough to hunt multiple places. So I know that I, if I come away without anything, I also still have some, some food in the freezer. Mm -hmm. Whereas like this past year, um, I had one elk tag. I didn't fill. I didn't go to Alberta, which is pretty normal i didn't go to bc which is pretty normal mm. um and i actually because of covid yeah okay. yep and couldn't so to, yeah, couldn't go down when down. i open my freezer right now even though i've shot some stuff to me i know i do not have enough food right now i don't have enough wild game right now to last me a whole year mm-hmm. you know it's like yeah. we've i shot i shot three does the last week of season here and if I'm honest, when I went out, I was actually like texting. Um, I was actually texting my game warden because he's like, you know, are you gonna you see anything? And I'm like, yeah, there's so many freaking does out here, and I knew I had my tags. And he said, you know, well, you know, you need to shoot some does for me. And I just, I kind of said, I just don't know how I feel anymore about shooting, like just shooting does. You know what I mean? It's, it's weird. I had, for the first time as a hunter, I kind of had a thing where I was like, I wasn't necessarily going out in just like full kill mode. Mm -hmm. And part of me feels like when there's someone that's just like that, that just wants to kill anything and everything, and it's not getting put to use. Then at that point, I'm like, okay, people have a, people that don't understand hunting and they see that person or. They watch that person just shoot a whole bunch of stuff, but they're never really eating it. And then they're going out all the time and like, you know. Yeah, yeah there's definitely going to be. So I can kind of, yeah, I can kind of get it. Like, you know, and that, it, from that perspective, that person may not really see why it's necessary. And I was at the point where I was like, you need to shoot some does right now. There's way too many does out in this field. Like the farm isn't even going to support this. The, mm. Like the rest of them are going to be out of food. Mm-hmm. Yep. You've already eaten. I had shot. I think we. Had, I think I had shot like three or four whitetails already. Like between September and this was January. And in that time, we had already consumed those four whitetails. Yeah, and you yeah. cook for a lot of people. It's not like. Yeah, you for guys sure. Have people over you entertain. Yeah. So like we had last night we had venison back t- we had venison tenderloins yeah, actually was, and those nice. are the so those were the last two from those does that I've shot two and a half weeks ago. Whoa. So like, you know, it's it's nothing for Sharon and I to eat a foot long <laughs> backstrap every night. Right. You know, yeah. cuz I normally cook I'll cook double what we need because the next morning a lot of times I'll take that extra backstrap that I cooked 
slice it thin, put it on a kale salad. Right, lunch the next day. Yeah, yeah. That's how like I perfect. tell people to cook. That's how you should be. It's yeah. like meal prep in a quick way because you're already going to be cooking. Yeah. But if you think about it, two people, you know, if you look at a backstrap that's, you know, think of a filet mignon, you know, we're going to each eat three to six inches of that. A full backstrap's 12 to 14 inches long. Yeah. So it's like if I cook double what I need to so the next day we can have some for lunch, mm-hmm. that's a one backstrap per day that I'm eating or every other day. Right. Yeah. And so if at that rate, you know, I need a lot. I need yeah. a lot. Yeah. And then when guests come, you know, and we and we get a lot of our grinder stuff made into charcuterie sticks which you guys have had those were delicious yeah you know you end up going through like what's a a half a pound of that at night like a typical buck uh white tail yield like i would think it would be like pounds of meat i was gonna say like 60 to 70 pounds of meat when it's deboned and everything i mean i've never really weighed it but so yeah i mean but it goes quick when you're eating it two meals a day yeah but i do know this you guys are the second couple that we've had here in two weeks to where you guys are really adamant about knowing where your food comes from. You're wanting to get it yourself. And you also like start to build a whole different appreciation to that. So Josh, you started elk hunting a year and a half ago. Uh, or was it two? Uh, what well, September of 2019 was my first elk hunt. So when yeah. was your first Archery hunt was June of nineteen. Your first, well, when was your first time you picked up a bow? It was after Jocko, right? After I taught Jocko. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe. Yeah, it was like September, October of eighteen. Um, yeah, is when I got bought bought my bow that I. So that was a few months after I taught Jocko, but yep. he he couldn't shoot much that year with his elbow injury. Yep. Um, and so you had shot. Six months, and then we met at the TAC. Yeah, we J- met Jocko at the... Brought, Jocko's like, hey, I'm bringing my buddy Josh, and can he shoot with us and stuff? And mm-hmm. that's when we met for the first time, right? And then... Uh, well, we met at Park City, remember? I w- my friend Moses. Oh, that's right. You we came, came up, and the girls walked came, with you us. You were randomly like, you are like, oh, I'm going to go shoot with this group, and it was our group. And we well, had... no, we... That was the first knock-on experience. Yes. Yeah. At Park City. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Barklow member was in our group. Yeah, Barklow was like the guy that walked with our group that whole oh, day. Oh, he was your pro. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then we met on the mountain via Jocko going, hey, man, Dudley's oh, up yeah, there. He, yeah, he just said, hey, Josh is up with Barklow's group. Go find him. Yeah. So then I like kind of ran up to you And then you were like, well, are you coming to Big Sky? And I, I was like, yeah, I was trying to, but it was sold out. And you're like, come on up. And Jocko's <laughs> like, yeah, bro, you're staying in my place. And <laughs> That's like, right. You're like, I, yeah, I would want to go. And I just said, I'll get you a VIP freaking <laughs> ticket. Cause they yeah. were sold out. Yep. And so then, yeah, that's right. You came up and barely got up there. It was a nightmare trying to get into Bozeman. You and Jocko surprisingly like took the biggest head first plunge into, <laughs> I'm going to say target archery. Cause the total archery challenge is, it's honestly harder than a lot of target archery I've ever shot. It's, I mean, you're taking like a normal 3D course and doubling it for like distances. And when you guys shot with me, it's not like you had it easy. 
And well, I mean, I would yeah. say like, hey guys, <laughs> don't be afraid to move up. And you know, <laughs> Jocko was not gonna do yeah, it. Yeah, no way. And then at that point, you're like, well, if I do, I'm the only one that does. Yeah. So so you're just like, I'll go for it. And dude, it was impressive. Um, how well you guys did at your first tax. Yeah. I yeah well, <laughs> lucky. <laughs> no, I don't I mean, think so. And then you said, "Hey, I booked a." Who did you use for your elk hunt? Uh, Derek Harris, um, South Peak Guide Service. Um, so through Performance Archery, Bob, you know, beginning that year, I I said, "Hey, like I want shout to out hunt. to Bob from yeah, Bobby, Performance Archery." Hey man, um, and he's like, "Oh, well, talk to the guys at Epic Outdoors because they'll help you plan." He goes, here's what we want to do. So that's Jason Carter, right? Yeah, Jason Carter okay, and, cool. and the crew. Yeah, he's he's been awesome. I mean, I can call him and he'll pick up, hey, man, what's up? He's That whole crew's amazing. And, totally uh, your style, honestly. Like, Jason is, like, very your vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and I actually got to cool. meet him at the um, the Western uh, Hunt Expo yep. uh, this last uh, February, a year ago. I guess we'd be there next week. But anywho, so got signed up and I said, yeah, I want to hunt. He's like, okay, well, let's start applying you in the Southwest and – he said, hey, in New Mexico, if you go into the um, outfitter draw, you have like 10% more chance of drawing a tag. And sure, sure enough, I got drawn the first time ever. <laughs> and um, I got put on to Derek, and Derek's like, yeah, man, I'll meet you at the camp. And so we had a cabin. And Did that- you do that? Did you know that was coming before the tack when we were at Jocko's? that furry yes fur- you did i did yeah because so, you told me there i think yeah and I you think- said that you killed a, bu- a bull in unit 34 which yep. is what i hunted yep sorry i don't know if you're supposed to say unit numbers or not but say you, it we yeah, were we it. were like i was like oh my gosh because my whole that whole year to me was just crazy how all the connections and the timing and you're like oh come here and then you're like no shit i sh- on 9-11 i shot a bull in that <laughs> unit and i was like holy shit and then i almost shot one on 9-11 but i got it the next morning but yeah it was- well what's crazy like if i'm honest one when someone comes up and they're you know jock is like he just started shooting and he's gonna see you in salt lake i thought all right well that'll be cool we shot and i thought tack's gonna be a lot for someone to bite off you know especially yeah. the utah courses are tough well it's steep and everything else man <laughs> for side sure hill and wind and for sure and yeah. then and then um you're literally there the next week and i think somewhere in there or maybe it was at salt lake you told me about you know the fact that you were doing a new mexico elk hunt and in the back of my mind i'd be lying if i didn't think like okay well that's freaking, aggressive. Good luck, bro. <laughs> freaking you jumped into target archery head first. You might as well go like full gainer into like, hey, I'm going to 34 for an elk hunt. I yeah. you know, reached out to Epic and they just they got me a tag and I was just like, okay. And then <laughs> and then, dude, I was with Barklow and Andy when you freaking shot that. You're like, dude, just got my bull. You text me. Yeah. And then sent me the picture and I'm like Damn, <laughs> freaking Josh just coming yeah. from like surfing waves to just yeah. going on like, hey, my first hunt, I'm going to go yeah. on an elk hunt. And then a couple days later, you freaking smoked a giant, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he did shoot a pig before that, though. Yeah, well, my first, yeah, the first one. Did you shoot a pig in California or did yep. you go to Hawaii? Nope. Um, uh, performance 
will organize, you know, one of their guys that works there will organize a group of four or five, you know, clients that they think are, you know, good enough or whatever into hunting. And so for a first pig hunt, they organize it to go up with a guide and in the Paso Robles region. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you kind of get the, you know, it's spot and stock and you can work on that and at least get that initial. Who were you with? Were you with JR or were you with Bob? Uh, No, Craig. Craig, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, Craig yeah. Jacobson. Yep. Yeah, and, and uh, he's been great. I mean, he's helped us both out a lot over the last couple of years. And so was that just – so that was – That was prior to TAC. Well, you weren't into archery then when I did the event at Performance. Didn't then. even know about you then. Okay. Yeah, yeah then I had no idea. And Three months later Jock and you I went. were friends, but I didn't know that he had gotten into the – he didn't get the, the bow, you know, bug. What made you step into Bob's shop? My dad. Because we well, knew Bob a very long time. Yeah, so it turns out her dad's hunted with Bob before, hunted okay. elk. And, you know, so I go to Europe every year and shape in Spain and France. And when I'm there, it's like 12 hours a day shaping because I'm trying to get as many boards done in a short amount of time. And so I'm listening to podcasts, listening to podcasts, and I'm on Rogan. And then I hear, oh, Shane Dorian. I'm like, oh, okay. And then it's like, you, Barklow, Shane, Rogan, blasted in Lanai, talking about the deer <laughs> you shot, you know. And I'm just like, well, wait, I mean... You know, I, we have a, a godson and a, you know, like a Hanaid family in Maui and my dad lives in Kauai and I'm like, well, I've got boards there already. How cool would it be to go take care of a little business, hang with our family, but then also try to go hunting. So I just now said, screw thinking. it. When I go back, <laughs> I'm going to go check out. And you guys had mentioned performance archery for either getting bows built for Shane or maybe it was Mark Keeley or somebody, but I go, shit, that's right up. That's in Miramar. And then yeah. I went there and it was totally it was kind of packed and they were, you know, down a couple guys and, um, uh, they go, Hey, we aren't going to be able to get to you. And I'm like, dude, I totally get it. I'll come back. Well, then I talked to her dad and Fred's like, Oh, I'll just call Bob and tell my, you know, we weren't married yet. So it was my future son-in-law <laughs> that you're going to come up and get yeah. a bow. And so I just walked in there and Bob's a surfer. So we kind of, you know, yeah, shot the say. shit about that. And I was like, wow, it'd be great to trade a board for a bow. And well, that, that went out the door, but. Um, You're not trading Bob. No, no, no but uh, <laughs> it just has, you know, be able to get any bit of the knowledge that he has. And he spent, you know, now hours with me on that range. So that was my introduction. And I just walked in and said, look, um, I know, I understand, you know, price quality ratio. What do I need? I want to hunt. I'm well, into it. It's so it. cool because you're actually a very good customer because, you build specialized boards and you also know like with craftsmanship comes a cost. Yeah. And you get what you pay for it. Absolutely. So like from Bob's perspective, not everyone that walks in has a budget, Yeah. but when people walk in and they're like, I want to like this, but I want to like it to the fullest and, you know, keep price in mind for me, please. However, don't cut corners. Yeah, like I don't want to get something now and come back in six months and go like, oh shit, I should have gotten that. Yeah, that's a you huge. Know? That's like a, they that was they were really like, well, don't buy this kind of medium grade bow if you're gonna like it because then you're gonna you know there's no resale value and then you're gonna spend twice as much. So yeah, there's kind of like a there's a category of like low to mid mm-hmm. where the resale value is not there. The big thing about the embark and I'm. I haven't talked to Bob about the bark, but a mutual friend of ours have talked to Bob, and I think he's talked to, like, the PSE rep. But the Embark, that bow is really focused on, it doesn't have, a like, a high-end cost, but it has enough features to where 
you're not going to outgrow it unless there were certain things where you're like, I feel like it's an ex- worth an extra four or 500 bucks to have like this nuance or this nuance or this nuance. Mm-hmm. But when it came to accuracy, like I'm, I will probably, honestly, I'll just say it. I'll, I'll shoot an embark for every day that I shoot an NTN on a tack range. Wow. Because I, I'm like that confident in that bow. Cool. Like it's not less accurate. Yeah. It just has less features. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a good bow for that person. And like I told you, I feel like people are way better off getting a, a good bow and great accessories or good, at least good accessories rather than a great bow and okay accessories yeah. because you know there it's it's probably like with your boards you can you can shape and build an unbelievable board but if you built it with mediocre parts or components or epoxies yeah or like if my you know the glass jobs were shit but the shapes great or yeah you know it yeah 100 percent. so yeah i think that's that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. i figured you it was would, real rela- like we like hit it off right away you know? <laughs> I, was, uh, I can imagine yeah. you guys like totally hit it off yeah and it, it's been great so i've learned a lot from him and and yeah he set me on that that journey to get hooked up with epic and they still I'm it's so in cool applying. that um that bob has that network to get his customers like on a hunting path Mm-hmm. Because honestly, I've never looked at I've never looked at that perspective. Because like I'm from you, San Diego, where the hell? Do you, yeah, because I mean, if you went to a shop, <laughs> if you went to a shop here in Iowa or Illinois, like they're not going to be thinking about where an, an outfitter or a a booking consultant would be to like get you into hunting. They're going to assume that you're going to buy this bow and go to your uncle that's got a ranch or a couple hundred acres farm yeah and you're just going to start going hunting you know they're not they're not thinking of it that way so it's it's honestly really cool that that's the case Mm -hmm. um and there's so much technique right with like tags and that whole thing like it's so it's like very overwhelming for someone that's it's a big hurdle it really is and you got to have a little bit of kitty on the side to be able to do it right i mean some states you have to pay everything up front and then you'll get 80% 80% back or you know what I mean? Like you got to kind of have a budget set aside just for being able to apply. If you want to build, build points in all the States. I mean, it's really wait, but on that, I do want to just bring something up, but doesn't that money go towards conservation? Like conservation and, and oh, and like, for sure. Yeah. So I think that that's something that's very missed. And like the little that I've posted on my social media, that's very like health and food focused of archery. Like, and I know Josh has had really negative, well, positive and negative feedback, but just on you're killing an animal but like i don't think people realize or understand that like the money that we're you're paying to go have an opportunity to you know yeah. kill an animal actually is going into like them go- being able to go to yellowstone and like yeah. enjoy the beauty yeah, of it i think that's the biggest gap for people and when you approach that subject lightly and like hey like well did you know that you know Besides the and whole thing of having a connection to your food there's that's so the many connections thing, but... that people don't put together yeah. right. i mean you don't realize like a game warden wouldn't have a salary if if hunters weren't paying money towards tags that paid for that salary. And if a game warden wasn't there, then outlaws would be killing Hell everything. Yeah. It would be like in South Africa with elephants or rhinos to where the poachers are just going, you know, freaking crazy 
and there's no funding to stop it. And that hap- that whole thing kind of happened with the lion, right? Where they mm-hmm. just put the full brakes on shooting a bunch of stuff. And then really quick, Africa realized, wait a minute. These hunters coming into our country is what paid for this whole ecosystem of yeah. hunting and yeah. of tourism, right? Managing well, animals, like protecting yeah. them. I mean, there aren't elk here because at one time there were no laws mm-hmm. to protect people from killing elk. Or if they planted elk back here, you know, having someone that was enforcing that stuff. And, you know, you see so many of the relocation programs that all of these places do for elk and sheep and all this stuff. It's like that doesn't – it's not non-hunters paying for that. Right. Yeah. These are – these are hunting companies. These are hunting people that love wildlife, want it to flourish, want to make sure it's managed, and they're putting forth money even above and beyond what they pay for tags right. to to make that happen. Like that yeah. whole ecosystem of do you think a, a rancher is going to manage his elk herd if he doesn't have hunters coming in and paying five or six grand to shoot an elk. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think people He's going to be it. like, you know what? They're eating my crop and I'm not making any, and I'm not, ma- no one's allowed to hunt them. They're yeah. not. And, and guess what? Up in BC, there was actually an area where like there was, for whatever reason, I don't think elk hunting was legal yet in that like area or something. We were up spring bear hunting, and the freaking elk that we saw was just like, you know, we ended up telling this guy, like, dang, man, do you know how many how much elk you have? And this guy was from another country that had, his whole family had moved to B.C. They bought this big farm, and they kind of just wanted to be off the grid. Yeah. We were just driving around and saw a bunch of bears out in this huge field feeding and ended up just finding out, like, who owns the property, drove to his house to knock on the door, and kind of thought like, you know, when he came to the door, I'm like, uh oh, it's a Europeaner. Yeah, you know, this yeah. it's gonna probably going to be like a hard hell no. Yeah, and then he's like, absolutely, and he's like, can you come shoot elk? And and my buddy Dusty, who was a guide, said, well, you actually can't shoot elk in this unit. And he, and the farmer immediately said, well, if you have a native card, you can do any of you have native cards? Cause he goes, I have to get some of these elk out of here because I'm not allowed to shoot them myself. And uh, so of conservation, well, or- the season wasn't open because they weren't like, they didn't feel like there were enough in this entire region for the season to be open. But when this farmer was just having total mass crop damage done, Oh yeah. He was wanting hunters to come in and help him regulate the population. Right. Cause he's like, I'm to the point where I just want to like put a gun out the window and start dropping some of these suckers. But he's like, you know, we're not going to do that and waste them. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's hunting is a necessary evil, mm. you know, I, and I guess I probably shouldn't call it evil, but no. it's a necessity yeah. that people that don't realize it, you know, wouldn't understand. Yeah. It's like, if someone told me, We've got to kill rats. I would be like, I've actually rarely saw a rat. <laughs> but to someone in certain parts of New York, mm. they might be like, 
hey, dude, you should come here. There is a shitload of rats. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. fact that we can now shoot rats anytime we want with, like, night vision or whatever, freaking awesome. Yeah. But I would have never thought because it's like, out here I might see mice or a pack yeah. rat, but I yeah. wouldn't yeah. see, like, a rat running around. Well, that's, like, the place that we went to hunt for. Like, our mutual friend was like, hey, I raise horses, and they're eating all of this organic alfalfa twice a day. <laughs> it's so much money, and they're ruining my wife's garden. Like, please, like, I can't kill enough. Like, please come. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, a perfect example because people are like, oh, but they're cute. They're little pigs. I'm like, they're actually not that cute. But. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's dive a little bit into you guys came and wanted to get some lessons. You know, and off-season is the time. So – what I guess let's talk about well Josh why don't you say like something you came here and you've learned already to where maybe you weren't expecting it or like what you think could help other listeners out there on a topic that we discussed or something that we did um well for I mean I hadn't really ever shot other bows so getting to know different bow technology and how that works but um, for me, I was really, since day one, well, when I met Barklow and we spent that time on the mountain, he's like, yeah, I've only, last two years I've shot everything with a silver back and I had listened to your podcast and stuff and I was like, man, I really want to do it. But I kind of knew that it was something that you just don't buy and go home and like expect to figure it out, you know, mm -hmm. like even watching your videos and all the content you put out. So for me, that's what I really wanted to, to work on was that tension release. And then like just today, you know, the difference of, like, yeah, you nailed it. Like I'm sanding and I'm surfing and everything I do is kind of hunched over forward. Tori's reading or typing on her things. And when you, you know, you explained it so well, when you stand up proud and, you know, your scapulas are down and your chest is out and then you draw across, you have so much more ability on a good follow through. You have more range to be able to, get the release to go off. Yeah. yeah you're, I mean, cause you're recruiting your entire anatomy versus, you know, anyone who's listening, like it's hard because people aren't watching. Yeah. But Josh is, when he was showing that mannerism, he's talking about even right now when we're podcasting, I'm, I'm sitting in a position of what Josh was shooting like where I'm just kind of, my shoulders are forward, you know, my elbows are resting on my legs and, you know, I'm kind of just in this position or if you're someone who's at a computer all day or, you know, Tori cooks a lot. So even when she's cooking, she's bending over to the height of a table or a cutting board and she's mm -hmm. cutting there. If you're sanding, you know, yep. you're in that position. You know, I think of like my, chiro my chiropractor, he's coming over to me on that yep. position. A dentist is always bending Looking over. Looking on your phone, texting. Yeah, all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, Not build, while driving, though. Building build <laughs> that tech neck, yeah. yeah. And, you know, even driving, you know, you're forward. forward. Some people are, like, really forward, like, yeah. on the wheel. But, yeah, I just talk about, like, hey, man, you know, stand up with your posture. And the sad part is you almost feel like you're, overemphasizing it but the reality is you're actually just standing with proper, proper posture. posture yeah but you're so rolled forward all the time that when you actually do stand up straight and you know you're pretending like someone's measuring your height to where you're backing up and you're like I'm so I don't, tall. yeah yeah look how tall i am <laughs> 
that's your size. Yeah. And and so like for you talking about, hey dude, stand up straight, you know, elongate your spine, have some tension in your core. I don't want you to like feel like you're having to squeeze everything yeah. to where, you know, you're utilizing muscle that's gonna make you move on target. But, you know, stand up straight and stand up proud and visualize your shot sequence in that and coming to that proud position when you come to full draw and then, you know, go through the shot execution that we talked about. And as soon as you did that, the first time I realized his bow's too short. Yeah. You know? Yep. That's and right so, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so this morning I told you, Hey man, I'm going to leave, I'm going to lengthen you out. Yep. And, and I said, and honestly, I feel like I could lengthen you out again and I don't mm. think it would hurt. You're not scrunched. You're like you're equal to where I personally like to hunt, where I'm a little bit compressed in the in my front elbow, where I have mm-hmm. a little bit more bend, because I like to have that clearance on my front sleeve. Oh yeah, yeah. But I feel like if you were just shooting tacks, or if you were shooting in your t-shirts all the time and stuff, dude, I think I could put another half inch on your wow. draw length, and it. As long now you would feel long and you would probably have the string like on the corner on the side of your nose if you started shooting small and yep. hunched over, you would feel like, Whoa, I'm pulling my elbow so far back. But like if you expand into that and shoot proud, yep. then I personally think I can make another half inch fit you. But you're in a good place right now. But we added a half inch of your draw and you shot there for a little bit, and then I kind of walked you through what I just said right now of, like, mm-hmm. visualize you being in this position, stand like this, visualize that, now make a shot. And then, it like, <laughs> your shot went off two or three seconds sooner. Yeah, or maybe and you're a like, little more. you're like, whoa, that was easy, way yeah. easier. And I'm like, yeah, because you used anatomy to help you – pull through that you know to have that that bow fully extended into a full draw position Mm -hmm. and then had your full strength and stature to be able to pull that extra few pounds until your shot went off and you know and it i'm really happy with where you are right now now it's just going to take it's going to take repetition yep regression repetition progression like that's probably going i would love it if the regression wasn't in that equation but the reality is it normally factors in somewhere Mm. at what multiplier is kind of up to you and like how much you one identify it and realize you're doing it and try to like i'm going to make the correction and then if you feel that breakdown happening just be like you know what i'm tired and i'm going to just take a rest and do it later you're in a really good place with like what you do you you could shoot 20 arrows shape a board for a while and when you're starting to get to the point where you're like mentally kind of just zoning out board shaping just be like i'm gonna go break the ice and make a couple shots and then when that same process happens go back to shaping yeah you know it when I shot really, really, really well, I was in a position where I was talking on the phone a lot to clients, doing a lot of like, you know, 
telecommunications, always had a headset on. <laughs> and then I would just get to the point where like, you know, you just realize like taking notes, like you're kind of just zoning out and, you know, dialing the wrong number or whatever. And then just be like, all right, I'm going to go jump in the rain. And I could just like leave my office, walk a hundred feet, go into a 20 yard range and just shoot a Vegas round and just be like, oh, okay, I got that. And then go back in and you're kind of, you're able Reset. to continually yeah. build and work on that stuff. So I'm pretty pumped with that. What else did you take away? Um, um, I mean, it's kind of always information overload <laughs> working with you because <laughs> even though you break it down into smaller, simple steps, but, um, I think again, just, um, kind of that behind the line, you know, mm. cause I had that one really good one. You're in, you already knew what was going to happen, right? Because <laughs> I started to aim, and then of course when you aim, that's when you miss. But because uh, we made a post, I made I filmed Josh <laughs> like impromptu. He didn't even really know what I was doing. Filmed him. He made it, and it was the first time I let him aim at a spot <laughs> since they've been here. So I'm like aim at that spot, and I filmed it, and he shoots in the middle, and we went down, and I posted it. And so then we come back and in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, I've set this bar for Josh of like, <laughs> yeah. he shot in the middle. Anywhere that was down. a freaking awesome <laughs> yeah. shot, blah, blah, blah. And then the next shot comes and it was not way <laughs> harder to make because oh, yeah. it took twice as long. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you were overthinking. Well, he, he was aiming. Of, yeah, yeah. Aiming. Yeah. All of his attention went forward of the shooting line, yep. you know, and all he was doing is staring at his pin and yeah. thinking about like being steady be. enough to be in the middle and then miss the bullseye. <laughs> yeah. And I told you what happened and said, okay, dude, like all I want you to think about is this, your process, the, yeah, the your shot cadence sequence. and yep. your, you know, your cadence. Timing. Yep. And then you made that shot and Tori and I both watched and it like happened way it faster. Yeah. yeah. And then it was back in there. Yeah. You know? So I, yeah, I think that's the, main takeaway is just and you you had said that attack two years ago it's like i'm not worried about what's going out that way i'm worried about what's happening back this way you <laughs> yeah. know and it's with that i mean for sure i know people with um thumbs or trigger releases think oh i'm on the spot and they can punch it but then you know they might have success or they might not whereas if you just worry about the like you said the cadence the timing and your and your follow-through you know your execution yep you know Nine times out of ten, it'll be in where you want it, <laughs> if not exactly where you thought it should go. Yeah. <laughs> Aim Tor small, miss small. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tori, so you actually have had a lot more, like, changes. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily in, like, not necessarily in your shooting. Because you had, you had um, a very good base. But... Um, you struggled a little bit last year at the tack, just like carrying your bow around, you yeah. know, just the bow that the model that you'd picked was a little bit heavy, was heavy. And then I think you held Sharon's bow or something when we pulled arrows or something. And you were like, girlfriend, what? Yeah, well, no, she actually <laughs> held my bow and she's like, dang, your bow's heavy. And I was like, okay, cause I was trying not to be a wuss, but my thumb over here, like dead arm. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then we, when we hunted recently and, in Hawaii, like, one of the local guys, like, was like, we're climbing over this fence, and I handed him my bow, and he's like, whoa, girl, what's up with your bow? And I'm like, I don't know, you're the second person to tell me that, but I don't know anything. I'm just, thought I was weak. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, so, yeah, I, it's a game changer right now. Just so you, you actually, 
both of you guys came and we did custom builds and you guys kind of got to experience like the custom thing. Um, so Josh has an NTN now. You said definite huge notice in like the draw, the draw cycle, right? Yeah, and how easy it is just to stay on the wall and and you know what I, I've been shooting RX one for the last two years, and if you aren't paying attention, it'll want to go on you. And this one, I couldn't believe it. Like once those cams roll over, you're like, whoa! I can just like yeah. chill out and look at the birds back here. You know? <laughs> Take my time, and yeah, it was a different. Definitely That's a different awesome. feel. Like I said, I have not shot a ton of yeah. different bows, but that right away I was like, whoa, that's like t- completely But you kind of took that freaking Nesty's plunge, like going from like, hey, I want a bow to an RX-1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, very different cam systems. Mm. And, I, and I personally say that I feel like I shoot these better because for whatever reason, like what I learned on – and what I've, I think I've ingrained the most repetition of my life on was a cam system that was not as aggressive as what a Hoyt system is, which mm-hmm. they're designed specifically that way. And mm. for people that like that style, they shoot them really good. And I shot them good. I just, if I made mistakes, it let me know. Whereas now I feel like, honestly, I feel like, I don't have to be as polished and I can stay in like a place where I feel like I'm shooting well, even though I'm not super polished, mm. but then Tori wanted to get, you got a Mach one, which is kind of the cream of the crop when it comes to it's carbon super light, which I had never looked at it that way. And we talked about that. You're just like, for me, and my size, you and Sharon are both, you know, small in stature. It's like that extra pound and a half is a massive deal. Totally. And like, honestly, when people ask me about what's the pros and cons to carbon versus aluminum, I've always talked about the niceness of just grabbing carbon when, when it's, it's cold. cold. Oh, my yeah. gosh, yes. Yeah. But now, honestly, I'm realizing, no – the biggest benefit to this bow is for people that are smaller that really can't have something that's physically that big in their hand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just hiking all day, I was like, I literally haven't even pulled on my, drawn my bow, and my arm was, like, completely fatigued holding that other bow. And, and then how about the poundage? Like, I think that's a That's, that's huge. Yeah, that's so, and I don't know that particular cam system on your other one, but we we would assumed you were going to be shooting in the high thirties for poundage. And then when I built this bow and drew it back, um, it ended up the way I strung it. It ended up cause we changed it to an SE cam because your draw length's so short. So once we changed it to that new cam system, it, it got a little bit more poundage than what it should have maxed out at. So yeah, I'm like, okay, this is pulling 47 pounds right now. Yeah, it's but 10. you didn't tell me that. So I did not because I'm like, actually, I want to just know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I said, try to pull this back, and then you just freaking ripped it back. Uh, and I kind of looked at Josh, and I'm like, dude, that's 47 pounds. And I did not. <laughs> so, I have not been getting buff overnight. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty awesome that you were able to pull more weight with a new cam system. Yeah. And then, honestly, the fact that. With that evolved cam system, 
it's not trying to take the string away from you all the time. As an instructor, it, this is really important because when you're drawing back and then you're anchoring and I'm like, okay, that's really good. I like that. Now bring your, bring your nose over to the string. Yep. Yep. If you had a demanding cam system, like mentally you're thinking about bring my nose over like John's saying, or, you know, look at your level, look at your level. Like the whole sometimes time just like, yeah, sometimes yeah. with the wrong cam system, a break in the concentration of that much would make that bow lurch forward. Which has happened to me a lot in the past. <laughs> and that's why I have my crazy grip, I think. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> your front bow hand, yeah, which we, we worked on that too. Yeah. And yeah. it made an a, immediate difference. Yeah, it was yeah your left right was totally good right. on the money. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. been something that I haven't been able to figure out, like being frustrated that I'm, you know, missing things that when I practice, I don't miss. And it's like as soon as I got nervous or in a situation where there's an animal, like I'm squeezing that front hand because I think well, it's unintentional and you just don't even realize it. Yeah. But yeah, today I learned a lot with just, just letting my hand be loose and having the right position. And Yeah. Yeah, and that, we talked a lot of different ways about the front hand. I know. Because, you know, I'd watch you and I'd say, okay, here's where I want it to be. And we talked about, Talked about making it stop. We talked about leaning on a door. We leaned on each other. <laughs> yeah, we talked. On a wall. We talked about <laughs> yeah. lifelines. I talked about drawing with a marker. I mm-hmm. showed you some pictures and yeah. talked about you know how you load your bow and change like you know I kind of said like okay I'm going to close these walls in on you to where you only have 24 inches of space you know linear space to the target and which one of them finally made you just start gr- getting that thing grabbed right and then you were just immediate change in like your lefts and rights well, just looked so much better you had me like take my hand off once i had the release in which the release was a new release for me so like i was super focused on that i think I'm yeah cuz you switched to go. a silverback mini yeah. yeah so this yeah so i was trying not to you know <laughs> let that thing go which is a whole other <laughs> mindset but once you took the bow and, like, actually physically put my hand there, and, like, I think when I was wrapping my fingers around to grab it to try to, like, hold the position is when, yeah. as soon as I would draw back, I was, like, squeezing. But then you told me to, like, let my fingers kind of come up, and my fingers were actually on the front of the bow. That's when I was able to, like, hold it and then totally relax my hand. So when I was pulling back, I was relaxed. I had a friend of mine that he had really big hands. Shout out to Marty. Um, had really big hands and I would talk to him about like grip position. And I think just because his mitts were so big, it's hard to know where you're at when you have like, honestly, people that have a lot of facial tissue, it's hard for them to really understand anchor position because they're not feeling their jawline is as easy as some people. And I think maybe because my hands are so small. Yeah, for sure. But, like, I don't have hands that are, like, sausage hand, like sausage fingers and stuff. So, like, I can feel when something's pushing on a bone or I can yeah. feel, like, when I'm in, like, the cradle of between my thumb and my index finger. Maybe when you have, like, these really big hands with way more tissue, maybe that you don't feel that as much. So, like, with Marty, I remember talking to him. Because I would shoot bullet holes, and then he would grab the bow, and he wouldn't. And so finally, he called me and goes, dude, I figured it out. He goes, 
if when I grab my bow and I'm holding it before I pull back, if I touch the tip of my like index and middle and ring finger, if I just touch them on the front of my riser mm-hmm. and just touch them there and then kind of lean my hand down so that, you know, so that the grip is contacting, you know, the top cradle of my thumb and index finger all the way down to where your thumb connects into your wrist. He's like, if I touch the front of my riser and I relax my wrist back to where I've got that even pressure, he's like, I get bullet holes all the time. As soon as I, like, try to essentially essentially grab his riser but grab it relaxed, he's already grabbing it or, like, deep enough into it to where – the pressure changes to where it immediately shows up to where it, you know, it gets tear. So he's like, as long as I do what I need to do and put the, those fingers mm-hmm. like on the front of my riser, when I'm like setting my hand in position and then pull back there and then relax my fingers, I can do it. Yeah. And that's a really good exercise for people is, you know, you can understand a lot about your grip by shooting through paper. The, the thing that'll drive you crazy with paper is there's people that have facial pressure or hand grip variation pressure mm-hmm. and true. yeah, how you follow through with your release. Like there's a lot that dictates that what an arrow, an arrow having good flight. Mm. So if you have those other variables, even when you're changing your hand position, you might not see the results, but if you feel like you're a relatively good shooter and you can shoot like bullet holes or close to just changing your grip pressure a little bit to see how that actually then relates to what that arrow is doing when it's coming out of the bow. It's actually really good to learn. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is like with the release aid, understanding like your hand position, like if my hands too flat, when I draw back, what kind of a tear do I get when I invert, so much to where my pinky is touching my face how does that change that (laughs) so yeah and some people are fully inverted like super super inverted so yeah or you know if my if i feel some pressure on my string what does my paper tear do Mm -hmm. if i barely feel the string i feel my anchor and my tip of my nose is on the string but i don't feel Anything, I don't feel an arrow on my face. However, I do have a solid anchor, and I am centering my front sight, rear sight, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel my arrow shaft. Then what does my paper tear do? And then you start to realize, oh, there is a lot that changes what an arrow does once that release is letting go of the D-loop or letting go of the string. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it was pretty cool to, to see both of you guys, like, learn the tension release you know which the hardest thing is always just understanding you know holding the safety down and (laughs) you know and keeping your hand flat and not grabbing it like a pair of brass knuckles you know it's it's fun coaching people because there's times a year where i like to do it and there's times a year where i just don't have the time but what i love about coaching is that it kind of wakes me up with things where it's like I don't talk about these things enough Mm. because I honestly, you know, it's something that I overlook. And when I'm with you guys and you talk about like, Oh, well I was, I've always just been doing it this way. 
it helps me identify things that maybe I'm just not talking about. So, I mean, for both of you, just focusing on, you know, taking your hand, keeping it flat and curling your fingers and then putting that release aid Mm -hmm. down that center row of your knuckles rather than making a full fist and like using it like a brass knuckle, which you do not want. You want, you know, that hand flat. Um, that was critical. And then draw length a Tory for you. Um, front elbow position was a big one Yeah. other than your grip. And my having my shoulder down, which is like, so something that you don't even realize you're doing because you're not looking at yourself. So I think you were so used to drawing your other bow back where you were maxed out on poundage mm-hmm. to where you were like pushing that shoulder into that position and the pulling but, that it would always give me. Right. So yeah. And you guys, Josh did a good job looking at his feet. I never really paid attention to you, but before we even shot, I traced feet on the ground and I'm like, okay, you guys have to step into these toe boxes. So that automatically helps your elbow position, your front shoulder position, just because of the fact your stance is correct and it's not closed. You know, if people start to close their stance, then their shoulder and their front elbow come into that whole arrow path and it gets a little squirrely. Mm. I did your school knock last year before attack because I didn't do the attack prior because I was just a little bit overwhelmed and didn't feel like it was I was ready, which is so not true. It's like golf. Like you're, the only people that really see you is. She thought it was going to be like super competitive, and I was like, "Babe, it's like one step away from frisbee golf, minus <laughs> the joints and the beers, you know." <laughs> but no, I did your cor- your class, and like I just did it alone and took notes, and like I think having that base, especially it's like very similar to surfing, like how you stand up on a board. So I had that down, and. I think that's probably the one thing that I really nailed because he would always be like, make sure you have your feet down no matter where we are. If we're on like the side of a mountain, you know, you have to have yep. the, your base. So, yeah, you were really very helpful. forward leaning. I mean, I, I don't know if it was because I'm just a f- I'm always forward with everything because being on a computer, I think, too. Well, no, you like I I asked if you were ever afraid of like, do you think the string is going to hurt you when it shoots? Because like. When you pulled your bow, you were very leaning forward, pulling out here, and then kind of bringing it back to you. Once you knew it was at full draw, you kind of, like, brought it back to you. And so I always wondered, like, was she worried about the string, like, getting her, you know? Because some people... I don't know. I just didn't even know I was forward. Yeah. it. Could, I mean, and it could have been the fact that no one ever just said, hey, you know, don't pull out here, come forward. Because I feel like you probably had a lot of weight on your toes more so than like more balanced, yeah, more, more centered. centered. Um, which again, you were lucky that you had someone that could give you some lessons. But there's also like, just like with anything, thing else, there's levels. Like I, I always wanted to learn to surf, but I also knew like if I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rent a board or get a board at like you know. <laughs> a vacation resort and just go out and try surfing. I would rather just wait until someone can say, okay, here's how you do it. And the first time I surfed was with Josh, you know, Sharon and I were out in San Diego and, and Josh came out and met and it's like, you know, I knew it was going to be like baby steps, but still it was like, for me, I still kind of remember those basics. And I feel like if you miss that first, hinders like where you end up going in the longevity yeah Yeah, that's something i've mentioned with her you know we we fortunately have access to different hunts throughout the year 
especially going to Hawaii now that it's back open. Well, sort of back open. But I, I'm like, oh, I don't want you, like, I don't want you to. Okay, we're going to Maui in in the end of March, you know, and we'll, we'll have the potential to go hunting. But I want to make sure she's gone through, and me too, also. Yeah. Now that with the new releases, you know, we're both kind of at ground zero again. So it's like maybe it's too early to bring the bows to, you know, because that's like what six weeks away. I don't know, you know, of how many reps, and I just didn't want her to skip steps. And obviously, I'm back at that now with a new release, so I don't want to skip steps, even though there's a Oh, we can go pig hunting three weekends up in California, in Northern California somewhere. Do they bait in Hawaii or Mm-mm. California for no. hogs? Nope. Is it legal? I don't think baiting's legal. I think anything's legal in Hawaii. <laughs> Lights are. <laughs> yeah, we hunted at night. It was so scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty rad. You just hear like this thing <laughs> green breathing. spotlights off a stabilizer, and is that it lit? Um, Hopefully that is legal since you've publicly it said it. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. I'm like more. It's honestly easy for me because I film most everything, so it's like kind of has to be within the time. Yeah. But I had this discussion um, with Mark, who was here last week, and we were talking a little bit about you know just like hunting over bait and. I totally understand in the areas where they're very anti-baiting because of CWD and stuff. I get that. But I also, for new hunters, feel like, or honestly, not just new hunters, but like, I think, I think back to like Tori's learning something totally new. Or I think of my friend Torsten, who lives in New York. He's a German kind of wants to know where his own food comes from. Mm. He's okay with shooting it if he's going to eat it, but it like but there's rules to it, you know. He's not just going to go out and shoot something because like if he goes on a hunt and shoots a hog and then the guy's like shoot another, shoot another or go get a bigger one. He's just going to be like I'll come back when I eat this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but, like, for Torsten, because I did a spot and stock hunt with him one year, he had a shot, and, like, they're always moving around. And it was yeah. a spot and stock. So there's a lot going on. He yeah. shoots a silverback. Never, had like, shot it. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And he shot, and what he was most terrified about, he's like, did he go down? I said, no, he didn't go down. And then it's, I didn't wound him, did I? You know? Mm. And so, and it's like, no, it was a clean miss. And he was like, thank God. Because if I had to wait, if I had to like wait a whole another year and think about the fact that I like hurt this okay. thing. Right. So I totally get that and respect that. And in those situations or taking kid hunting where you want them to have fun, you want them to see a lot. You also want to be able to talk about, okay, that's not a good shot angle. This is a good shot angle, you know, or I've even had times where I've been places where I've just had a little laser and I'm teaching people. I just turn the laser on, put it on. If I was going to shoot that animal, I'd hold right there. Mm. And then I'd say, okay, see that animal. If I'm holding right there, is that right? No, I think you should be more to the right. 
So like right there, yep, good. Mm. That's exactly where you'd want to aim at that angle. So is baiting just essentially like they have food out and you know they're going to yeah. come? Yeah, yeah, like uh. in Alberta, you can bait for bears. And I feel like for me taking Sharon and Harry the first time ever hunting a bear, the fact that we were able to to be there, they were around bears, they, act, they got adrenalized, it was able to come down, we were able to talk about shot angles. Hey, you'd never shoot that bear, it's too far. This, you would range this, set your sight. So then we kind of just went through drills. Yeah. And I would be like, all right, this bear's coming in. Even though we know we're not going to shoot this bear, but it's coming in, it's going to hang out here for a while. So I'd be like, okay, Practice this bear's your... coming in. Tell me when you would make your shot and when you would move. And, you know, let's go through. You tell me, hey, uh, you know, that's my shot. How far is it? So bear would come in. You know, that's my shot. I would be, you know, 22 yards. She could reach down, move her sight, and then load up and kind of get her feet positioned in the tree stand. And I'd be like, okay, perfect. When the time's right, that's what we need to do. So I, I feel like there's certain applications where that style of hunting is very instructional mm -hmm. and, and honestly very needed, you know. Yeah, depending on the animal and it, which area. Yeah, sure. and in, in in some ways, it's arguable that it's ethical. Right. You know, more ethical. But, you know, if you're – there's a fine line. I yep. mean, there there's a fine line because I also have been to meetings with, you know, with conservation or DNR where they talk about, you know, we do not want baiting because we don't want, you know, transfer of saliva. And there's there's pros and cons to that too. You know, and I'm I'm totally cool not hunting over bait. And, and actually, like, as bow hunting becomes a challenge to you, you want, like, that's what appeals to, like, Western-style hunting because it's very, like, one-on-one -on -one chess with an open table. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And when the hunt that we did in Maui was, like, so humbling, like, we... Within the first hour, like, it was a crazy hike, and we saw so many animals, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to actually kill some of these people. This is going to be sick. And, you know, I crawled. I did all these uncomfortable things. I, like, had my heart rate up, and we worked our asses off, and I had one shot that I missed. <laughs> and the other one, I, but I had three that, like, I, I ended up, like, not shooting because I couldn't see it. It was a weird angle, and I just didn't feel comfortable. But, like, after that day, I was like... Wow, like this is so humbling because it is not easy. Like if I had yeah. a gun, they I would have just don't ten jump things. on that end of the yeah. arrow, do they? Yeah, <laughs> it was just. I mean, they're just. So That's much what makes it than. addicting to the, to people, totally. though. And and it's one thing like we go we it. Sorry, if we go back to where we were talking at the start of this podcast of like some things in society that we feel like are going away that are important traits to people or like learning characteristics, having things be hard and freaking doing all that and not getting something. You're really not that much of a person. If that doesn't bother you and you don't want to go back oh and God, like do it better. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, ah. crawling. yeah, you're, <laughs> He's like, oh, my boobs are in the way. Damn it. Like, <laughs> so how do you guys hard. do this? You, you know? Yeah. It, we're like, slide on your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is 
it is totally addicting because if it was easy, like it wouldn't be so fun. Nothing yeah. good comes easy, right? And it's humbling every day. Oh yeah. Just shooting arrows every day. Is well, humbling. I told you guys, you know, we're all, well, you're a surfer. So, I mean, you get a lot of like, you know, you get a lot of different types of mu- movements than what I would. And then Tori was talking about how like unbelievably awkward it was crawling and stuff like Which that. Arrow knocked. <laughs> yeah. And w- yeah. Uh, well, and a hundred percent that adds a whole different element to it. And I talked to you guys, you know, about, Hey, one of the things that people overlook when working out is just take your bow and do a low bear crawl and not let your knees touch the ground or, you know, just do like knees, knees to elbows, like belly crawl, knees to elbows with your bow and like probably don't do it where your neighbors can watch you crawling around and be like, what is wrong with this person? (laughs) But the truth is if you did that, you would be a better hunter because if you don't, your freaking hip flexors are smoked in like five minutes. Yeah. Well, especially over there where it's so terrain and, but yeah, it's not spot and stock. It's spot and crawl. (laughs) Yeah, um, well, I know we I'm haven't looking. really done access yet either. So that I know that, you know, I followed what you guys have done over Lanai and that terrain. There's similar terrain, of course, in Maui and like, dude, nuts. Yep. Those, <laughs> those little, when you hear that bark, <laughs> they're out later. <laughs> yeah. You almost want to just go in one place and sit and then tell all your other, just be like, I'll watch you guys stock and <laughs> let everyone just push stuff to you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to learn that for next time because we did not we yeah. never stopped moving. Yeah. I was like, if I kill something now, I don't even think I can make it back to the car. Like, even with, my, <laughs> yeah. with every last last ounce of my energy right now. But, again, like, that's what just makes it – that's what I think what most people don't really understand. They think you're out there, like, I don't know, like, yeah, killing from the side of the road. Hunting from the side of the truck, you know. And, oh, yeah. Like, uh, drinking beers and just chilling. Which and so not like some that. people do. Yeah. I mean, but if you had a gun, like – in every single hunt that we've been on that I haven't, we haven't harvested or I haven't harvested, like it's because you have to get so close and you have to like not let them hear you or smell you or see you or yeah. all the things. It's really hard for you, for you and Sharon and Harry. It's, it's tough when, cause like Sharon shoots, you know, she might be, she might shoot 45 pounds now. Right. Um, Harry shoots about the same. But at one time, you know, when they started, they were in the 30s, you know, 10 years ago. They were in the 30s and then 40. But, you know, it's like, hey, you can't shoot. It's 32 yards. Like, I'm I'm cool with 25 yards or less. Yeah, because when you've got a, yeah, when you've got a 26 inch draw length at, at 40 pounds, shooting something that's medium game or larger. You it needs to be close. The shot angle needs to be right. Yeah. You know, you can't just grip and rip. And sometimes it's really hard to get, you know, that's what I told Sharon. For the longest time I said, you know, if you want to shoot a bear, I can't guarantee we're gonna have a twenty yard shot spot and stock with two of us. And then you're going to have enough time for us, like for at 20 yards and you're still a little bit green to where I'm going to want to make sure it's 20 yards. Here's where you aim. Yeah. And then, you know, it's just like, uh, because on the first couple animals, you, you kind of black out 
You're like, yeah. You like you go through your shot sequence. You got ten steps. Yeah, right. It's like three steps. You're like, you know, pull it, point pull, shoot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is what you're you like. Know, I it. know it's true, Hit but thing. yeah, but that's the that's the problem. And most people do that, and they miss, and then they're and then they're here, you know, or yeah. whatever, or yeah. asking like, how do I not do that? Yes. Obviously, in t- it tools for that. Um, I really feel like, honestly, I feel like the silverback and the the steps involved with like holding the safety, drawing it back, finding your anchor so you can look through your peep and letting off that safety and then pulling. I think, honestly, because some people are nervous about it, I think it's good because you're channeling your nervousness to a conscious thought to where you're actually distracting, like you're distracting you thinking about how big the animal is or everyone's going to be excited if I shoot this thing. Yeah, You're just trying to like, you know, draw back safely, anchor, you know, okay, now that's right. I got to let off the safety and now I got to start pulling. You're, it forces you to consciously think about things to where your subconscious can do some of the other things and then mm-hmm. eventually you know you make a good shot but yeah if, if you can ride on autopilot all the time then autopilot a lot of times just goes pull point shoot mm-hmm. and then you and then reality hits in of oh that was dumb yeah <laughs> you know now i've yeah. got to either not have a shot the whole trip or start all over you know yeah. what i mean yep all right dudes well what we got well, our chicken is done at the house right oh, now. Right. Yeah, oh, I got yeah. I got to turn that sucker down from my app. Holla to the trigger app. Trigger app. Yeah, oh, our chicken. So excited for ours. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're gonna have we're gonna have some chicken, and then I think we'll roll right into some steaks. Ooh, yeah. Let me turn that down. <laughs> turn my grill down. It's a pretty awesome little tool right there. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, you guys are awesome. Uh, Josh, what's your Instagram? Is that where you want people to check you out? Yeah, just at Josh Hall Surfboards or on my website, joshhallsurfboards.com. And you made a freaking stellar surfboard. Yeah, it might be the only Josh Hall Surfboard in Iowa (laughs) in the uh, old office. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Jocko and you have three knock-on surfboards, right? We do, yep. (laughs) Team. Surf team? Yeah, the knock-on surf team, yeah. (laughs) We got to get you back out here or out to San Diego and do it again. I'll be back out there for a Jocko podcast in four weeks, five weeks. Perfect. Got some dates locked in, so we'll we'll have to shred. Yeah. People better watch out. Yeah, well, for you, they need. I need about as big as board as I make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much surfing on a pier. Yeah, well, you're at 5'10". Uh, Tori, where can they find you? Uh, my Instagram is the Vita Well. And the I've, Vita Well. Yeah, like Vita is life in Spanish and well like wellness. I like it. I like Or a depth going. of life, yeah. right? Yeah, like, like the, the wells well are deep. Of, yeah, that, that works too. Lots of life coming out of the well. I like it. I like it. (laughs) Cool dudes. Well, man, thank Thank you. you. All right. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.